As we continue to preach through this wonderful letter of Paul's to the church in Corinth, uh, <clears throat> we're going to be in verse 26 of chapter 1. And in this section, Paul continues to fight for the life of the church in Corinth because if the message of the cross is moved out of its central place, then everything else is ultimately lost with it. The cross must be at the center of what we believe and what we preach. And what makes the death of Christ uh, powerful in our contemporary world, it's not the personality persuading people. It's not the personality persuading people to buy into spirituality. But it's the preacher whose simple message is this. Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. That is the message. Do you know that is the only message we have? Now, there's a lot of things that come under that, but that is the only message that we have. And once a church moves from that to a, a different message will inevitably follow. And the gap will be filled in with uh, signs and wonders and entertainment and such things as this. What they all have in common is that the focus is on human beings and their performance rather than on what God has done in the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I can stand up here and I can tell you flowery words that make you feel better. I can tell you you can live your best life now. But it would be a lie. It is only the message of Christ and Him crucified that can change the lives of men and women across the world. And this is the point that Paul is making to these here in the church at Corinth. Uh, look at verse 26 in chapter 1. Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that He may establish the things that are so that no flesh may boast before God. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The congregation there in Corinth did not have very many influential people in it. They didn't have any movers and shakers, no um, people of flair and power. Nobody was listed in who's who. They weren't even listed in who's not. They were just ordinary people. And so, and, and the, the, the people around Corinth would look at them and they would say, how can such influential people be of any consequence? Preaching a message of a crucified king. 
And so Paul points out how God uses, notice that in verse 26, he doesn't say that not any influential people. He said that not many influential people. And the inference is clear. The large majority of the, Christ, of the Christian community would not be admired or, uh, or even known in Corinthian society. And that was re, uh, regarded as a great defect. Today, we see this happening in our churches today. If you have a small congregation, a small church, well, you're not successful. Something's wrong. We need a plan. We need all these things so we can bring people in here. You've heard me say it. I will say it until the day I die. There's only one way to bring people into the church, and that is Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And this is where Paul is getting to these people. Uh, he, he's telling them that just because they, they are looked down upon, just because uh, you know the large majority of the, Christ, of the Christian community would not be admired or even known, this does not mean that God is not using them. This, and this seems to be due to the message that Paul preached. I mean, his message, as he said last week, was considered weak. I mean, who comes along and says, hey... We want to tell you about this man who came and claimed to be a Messiah. He was crucified on a cross and we're following him. And the people would look at him and say, you people are crazy. Think about Paul there on Mars Hill in the book of Acts. As he's walking along and they have all these monuments to these gods, all these Greek gods that they worshiped, and they have this one to the unknown God. And Paul says, that's the one I want to tell you about. And Paul begins to tell them about the one true God, about this Savior who was crucified on the cross and risen from the dead. And they begin to laugh at him and they begin to mock him and say, this man's a dreamer. Who would follow a God like that, Paul's? But Paul's point here in this passage is this. It is the fact that to the world this message seems ridiculous that allows God to use it. That shows the power of God. In assuring this erroneous reasoning, Paul takes his readers back to an emphasis that we've already talked about. In verse 26, for consider your calling. It is God who calls us. Paul says, consider your calling, brothers. It is only because of God's call that they are Christians at all. It is only because of God's call that we are Christians. It is only because of God's call. There was a church in Corinth. There's only because of God's call that there's a chapel right here. But here's what the congregation in Corinth was doing. And here's what many, maybe unintentionally, do today. Because they had a problem with such an unimpressive makeup in the church. People who were considered the lowlifes in society. People who were considered poor. People who had no influence. People who had no power. People who had no money. And Paul is saying to them, if that's what you think is wrong, he said, you need to blame God. Because God is the call one who does the calling. God is the one. Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. 
Jesus builds the church. I don't build this church. You don't build this church. Only Christ can build this church. Three times Paul makes the point that God chose what is foolish. God chose what is weak. God chose what is low and despised by the world. And it is central to God's plan to choose and call to himself those whom worldly wisdom would never select. People that God would, that we, the world would never look at and say, oh, now there's going to be a great preacher. Or there's going to be a great believer. The world would never do that. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> when you look at what the world today calls great preachers, you're going to make me name names, aren't you? The Joel Osteens. The Kenneth Copelands. Those are the men that people look at and say, Oh, we love their message. Joel says you can have your best life now. But you know if you have your best life now, that means you're going to hell when you die. And Christian, your best life is yet to come. But these are the ones that the world looks at. And the glory of the gospel is that God does not need human wisdom, human strength, or status. God delights in using ordinary people who count as nothing in the eyes of the world for His purpose. Anybody ever heard of a preacher by the name of, uh, and I cannot believe, as soon as I almost said it, his name went out of my mind. You had heard that one? He was a preacher back in the, uh, maybe if I describe him, somebody will know his name. Long beard. Somebody told a story about at the end of a service, this, this old man come up, and this old man had a beard. And this preacher reached out. I mean, right, right, right at the time of the service when, you know, people were praying and some were singing, and all, and, and the preacher just reached out and grabbed his beard, and went honk honk. <laughs> they called him God's joke on the ministry, but God used this man. Thousands heard the gospel preached accurately because of him. <laughs> I wish I could think of his name. I promise I'll, I'll write it down next time. But you see, this is the master plan. God shows the wisdom, His wisdom and strength of this rebellious world means nothing to Him. That God doesn't need men and women who have a great oratory, who have great learning. Now, there's nothing wrong with having great oratory, nothing wrong with having great learning. Paul says to, to young Timothy, to, to every preacher, he says, you know what, study, show yourself. You need to study and show yourself approved so that you can rightly divide the word of truth. But God is supremely wise and he is supremely powerful. And now we are shown how the wisdom is operative in the lives of those whom he's called. He is making the world's nothings into the likeness of his son. Making us like Christ. Those who the world looks down upon. And the design of God, calling the ignorant rather than the wise, the lowly instead of the great, is for this purpose. That no man should boast in his sight. 
that no one should boast before him. No one can stand in the presence of God and attribute his or her salvation to their own wisdom, their own birth, their own station, or anything else. Can you imagine that I stand before God and I say, Oh, I'm so glad I was a preacher and I get to come to heaven. I'm so glad that I was good and I got to come to heaven. Because all those would be lies. And that's what Paul says. God does it this way so that no one can boast in his sight. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you that if this preacher right here should die where I stand right here, if the life should go out of my body, I guarantee you by the word of God right here that before this body hits the ground, I'll be kneeling at the feet of Christ. Not because of anything I've done, but only because of what he has done. That's Paul's point. That's the message of the cross. And that's what Paul calls us to. Look at verse 30. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Now, can it get any clearer than that? By His doing. This is all God's work. The work of salvation is all God. To be in Christ is to be united to Him. But He says, But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. The origin of our being in Christ is that God called us. Christ himself, we, we, we need to understand, here's, here's a picture of Christ that you need to have. <clears throat> Jesus did not come to give you wisdom from God. He did not come to give you righteousness or sanctification or redemption. Jesus came to be the wisdom of God for us. To be the righteousness of God to us. To be sanctification and redemption to us. He is all these things. And when we are in Christ, when we are united to Christ and one with Him, and, and everything that Christ has, Paul tells us in Ephesians, we have become joint heirs with Him. They're ours. So if you want to have redemption, if you want to be sanctified, if you want to have redemption, all you need is Christ. And everything goes with it. Christ Himself. Therefore, we need to understand the distinctive mark of the church at Corinth, the distinctive mark of a church anywhere in the world, is the divine life of Christ Himself in her. Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. And we use that verse right there to say that's Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. Folks, that's not what it says. If you go and you read the whole chapter, Jesus is standing at the door of a church. And when Jesus stands at the door of a church and knocks and says, Hey, can I come in? You know what that tells me? That it's not a church at all. Because if it was, he'd already be in there. And this is what Paul is pointing out to these Corinthians. He says, the distinctive mark of a church is Christ in there. And when a church moves away from this message of the cross, 
it will go away from what God has called her to do. We are not here to meet the needs of this community. Now, we will meet the needs of this community the best we can. But that's not why we're here. We're here to worship and glorify God together as His body. That's what we're here for. But once we get away from the message of the cross, then we have gotten away from what God has called us to. Look at chapter 2. Paul says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with superiority of word or wisdom, proclaiming to you the witness of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my word and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul came to them preaching, but he did not rely on great rhetoric or philosophical arguments. Paul was not looking to be popular. Paul said, look, I don't care what you think of me. I don't care whether you even know who I am. But you better listen to my message because it's the message of Christ crucified. And here Paul shows the difference between himself and the teachers of his day and that it was intentional. Messengers of a crucified Savior are not impressive people seeking to draw attention to themselves. We are called to draw attention to Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men to myself. Paul's confidence, every preacher's confidence, must be in nothing but the message preached. That in spite of its apparent weakness, that this message of Christ crucified was more powerful than any form of human rhetoric. Listen, Paul was not an impressive figure. CNN, you know, the Corinthian News Network, they were not trying to get Paul on the nightly news to interview him. If anything, they would, do a, they would run a piece on Paul that would, that would say, crazy preacher starts riots and preaches a crazy message. That's what it would have said. But they were, Paul was not someone that everyone just ran to and said, oh, what a wonderful looking man you are great speaker you are now tell us great words of wisdom Paul said no that's not what I did that's not why I'm here I'm here to preach Christ Paul deliberately refused to use the media methodology of his day look at verse 4 Paul said and my uh, and my word and my preaching were not persuasive words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power it's striking how Paul brings together the Word and the Spirit. I have said, ladies and gentlemen, and I can back this up with the Word of God, that any person who ever gets saved, who ever comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it is impossible without the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Those two, and Paul here points that out. It's, this power, it's the Word and the Spirit. The Spirit's power is in the, uh, seen in the preaching of the cross. Because that's the only message that can save people. That's the only message that can transform someone's life. That's the only message that can make us to be in Christ. 
The message of the cross is about humbling myself before Christ who died for me. It's about submitting to my life to Him in gratitude because He gave Himself up for me. And this is where the, the Spirit's power is seen. You want to know it? You want to know what the evidence of a change of a of a spirit filled born again life is? It's a changed life. You move from death to life in an instant. And Paul says, "There's only one that can do that, and that is the Spirit of God." And we, the Spirit takes the Word and applies it to our hearts. The Word and the Spirit can never be divorced from biblical Christianity. Many of our problems in the modern church stem from a failure to believe this. And this is why many churches, many Christians look to other methodologies and why the church in the West has been desperately searching for a way to impact the culture. But the problem is, the problem in Corinth and the problem in the church in America today is this. We seek to reach the culture by being like the culture. That won't work. That won't work. You use worldly means to bring people into the church. You know what kind of people you're going to have? You're going to have worldly people. Listen, I, we need to invite lost people to come into the church. We need to invite our lost neighbors, our lost loved ones, and all these. Folks, the church is not for lost people. It's for saved people. And lost people... They sit in here, and, and you know, I believe that if any time a lost person comes into this chapel, and they listen to me preach, and they come to me and say, oh, that was a great message. I've done something wrong. I love what, uh, I believe it was Bishop J.C. Ryle said one time. Might have been Charles Spurgeon, some great preacher in the past. Who said that any time a message is preached, it should lead the hearer to either hate you or hate the message. They'll hate one or the other if they're lost. And Paul says here, this is the warning that he's given to these uh, Corinthian believers. But Paul says, look, do you want to be a church that glorifies God? Do you want to be a church that is moving in the direction God wants you to do? Don't look to the world to find out how to do it. There's already, it's right here, right in front of us, how to get this done. Listen, are you ready for this? It is so simple. You might have heard this before. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen from the dead. That's the only message we have. Because that's the only message that can bring a lost soul to Christ. That's the only message that can bring one that is in Christ to move on to be more like Christ. It's the gospel, the power of the gospel. Listen, I, I was thinking about this when I was preparing this message about Paul talking about how unimpressive he was and how God calls those that are that are the world would not look at. And 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 I was remembering a young man that I used to know years ago. And by the time he was twenty years old, he was a heavy drinker. He was a womanizer. He. Uh, but he had one thing on his brain all the time. 
And that was, how can I make money? I just want to be rich. I, if I could just have all the money I, knew I wanted, then I could have anything I wanted. I would be content and I'd be happy. <sighs> this young man had been in church all his life. But he had never been regenerated. He had never been saved. The young man was a very quiet man. He was very shy. You could spend a day with him and he might say two words. Unless he'd been drinking. Then he'd talk your head off. And usually when he did speak then, he would say things he shouldn't be saying. And then one day, there was a preacher knocked on his door. One Saturday morning. And the preacher came in and he sat down and for about two hours, he presented to that young man the gospel. And that day, the Spirit of God began to move in that young man's heart. I'm trying not to cry. And God took that young man and made him your pastor. That's the power that God can do. People looked at me and said, when, when, when some of my family and some of my friends heard, you know, Bobby got religion. <laughs> That's how they put it. And some of them were like, you know what? I'm not going to believe that till I see it. Some of my family, God's called Bobby to preach. And they said, okay, I'm really not going to believe that till I hear it. I remember going to my pastor and saying, I think God's called me to preach. And he looked at me and he said, are you sure? <laughs> Listen, my point is this. I, like the Apostle Paul, can clearly stand here and tell you that I am the chief of sinners. But God can take the worst of sinners and make them into children of God. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what the message of the cross does. That's what it can do for me. It's what it can do for you. It can do for anyone. There is no sin that you cannot have forgiven. None. If you will simply believe the message of the cross. But we have in this passage a warning and an encouragement. The warning is against Corinthianism, which imagines that the only way to impact the world is to become like it. To be personality-led, to be, uh, personality to be entertainment-led. And I want to tell you, a personality-led church, a, an, an entertainment-led church will never produce believers who can stand on the day of persecution. It will never produce Christians who will stand for the truth when the, wor when the world outside and the culture around us is falling for a lie. The lure of Corinth is very strong in contemporary Christianity today. But there's always the great encouragement that the message of the cross, listen to this, the message of the cross is still the power and wisdom of God. And it's only, it is still the only way, it's the only way that lives are transformed. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it 
is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, I love that, that verse right there because the word for power in Romans 1.16 in the Greek is where we get our English word dynamite. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the explosive power of God's ability to save those who are lost. And it's only when I have been crucified with Christ and when Jesus is enthroned as Lord of my life that the message of the cross starts to meet the, need, the deepest aches and needs of my heart. And what an encouragement this morning to know that this is the very reason that God planned the cross. I have some family members that are members of a cult. And uh, I was talking with one of them one time. And we were talking about the cross. About how, and, and he, he talked about how the cross was plan B in God's plan. And I told him, I said, the cross was not plan B. The cross wasn't even plan A. The cross was just the plan. <laughs> From the very beginning, before the foundation of the world, when John in the book of Revelation looks, he sees a lamb as it has been slain before the foundation of the world. God planned the cross from the very beginning. And what an encouragement to know that God is still using ordinary Christians who will walk and live by faith to bring to nothing the proud pagan empires of this world. Once upon a time, there was a man by the name of Voltaire. And Voltaire was a great atheist. <clears throat> this true story. Voltaire boasted that he would work in such a way in his life that within a hundred years of his death, the Bible would be completely gone from the face of the earth. He would make sure of it. Well, Voltaire died. And within 50 years of his death, his home became a Bible printing place. Because God says, Voltaire, you don't make the rules. I do. And this is what Paul, he's saying, look, it's an encouragement for you and I to know that God uses, he, he, he can use anyone that will come by faith to him. He doesn't care who we are, what our education level is, whether you're pretty or not, whether you're rich or not. God can... Now, 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 don't get me wrong. There have been some very influential rich people in Christianity. There have been some very influential famous people in Christianity. Paul says not many of them. The majority of them are just like us. And I'm a nobody. And that's what Paul's saying. But you see the purpose of it? Look at verse 5. Paul says, So that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, you want me to give you an example of that? Today, in our modern church, we see many who do just the opposite, that their faith is in the wisdom of men. Our churches today are filled with people who have been members of the church and they're going to die and go to hell for this very reason. Because they think because they walked down an aisle, shook the preacher's hand, got baptized, said a prayer, they're going to heaven. 
And you ask them, say, why do you think you're saved? Well, because I prayed this prayer. Because, uh, you know, I, I remember talking with a young man one time and I asked him, I said, are you saved? And he said, yes, I'm a Christian. I said, tell me about it. And he said, well, way back in vacation Bible school. And I said, let me tell you something. Your salvation is not based on something you did. It's a based on something you do every day, which is trust Christ. It's not about saying a prayer. It's not about getting baptized. Nothing wrong with those things. As long as we don't use those things to claim we're saved. And Paul says, that's the wisdom of men. He said, but it's the power of God that you look at me and you say, how in the world could God save somebody like that? <clears throat> I look at John Newton and we say, how could God take a slave trader and make him one of the great hymn writers? How could God take a lowly little monk so filled with religion and salvation by works and turn him into one of the most influential reformers in the history of the world? Martin Luther, by the way. I think about one of my favorite preachers from the past, George Whitfield. George Whitfield <clears throat> ran around with the Wesley brothers, John and Charles. They were in uh, what they called, I think it was called the Gospel Club. And he even came to America a time or two, preached to the Indians, did all this. For years this went on, till one day, God began to stir in George Whitfield's heart. And he realized he wasn't saved at all. He was following the wisdom of men, but not in the power of God. And God saved George Whitfield. Then he began to really use George Whitfield. One of the greatest preachers that's ever lived in the history of the church. And I could go on and on and give you example after example. I could have every one of you stand up in here. And many of you give the same example. Here's where I was, but because of the power of the, the word of the gospel, the message of the cross, here's where I am now. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was lost, but now I'm found. That's what the gospel does. And Paul is pointing out, and we need to heed this message, ladies and gentlemen. Every church in America needs to heed this message that Paul's giving here. That we must stop looking to the world to reach the world. And look to the word of God and the message of the cross. That's what will bring people to Christ. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we are so thankful to you this morning. Father, that you, in your great wisdom and love and mercy, chose us before the foundation of the world to be in Christ. Father, I pray that for that one that may be listening right now that does not know, truly know Jesus Christ. That, Father, they might repent of their sin, believe on Christ, and be saved. That they might begin to humbly walk before Him and grow in Him, becoming more like Him. By hearing the message of a crucified Savior who is risen from the dead. Father, for those of us who are saved... May we take heed this morning to the warning 
that we will never reach the lost by worldly ways, but just simply by proclaiming the message of the gospel, the message of a crucified and risen Savior. Father, we can't say it enough. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Father, that in your great mercy you saw fit. Father, you could have just let us all perish in hell forever. But in love and mercy you reached down and you chose the people for yourself. Lord, we thank you that the day will come when we will one day stand in your holy presence and bow at your feet and spend an eternity in service of gratitude because of what you've done and who you are. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.